Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and this is Great Big History Podcast. We continue our series of History 102 lectures with World War II. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. So said Winston Churchill. And he was not lying. All right, so this is going to be a episode. So be warned. It involves death, 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 genocide, and death. So be careful. All right. We have fascism in practice. While communism is in, oh, Stalinist version of communism is in USSR, the rest of Europe and the Anglo world. U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, are still trying to figure out what will replace laissez-faire capitalism. It is a challenge of communism, but no communist parties are ever really big enough to really take over. But there's a fight in a lot of countries, France, Germany, and Italy especially. What's going to win is not communism in Western Europe, in the Anglo world. And in 1923, it's Mussolini and fascism that kind of take over and get started. And so you could see that the, while it's fascism in practice, 1929, 1939, we have to kind of start earlier because Mussolini is a result not of the Great Depression, but of the 20s Depression, of the Depression after World War I. Mussolini puts together a political party, and he hates the communists, and he is asked by the king of Italy to take over and fix the system, i.e. beat up the communists, save Italy from the communists. And so that's exactly what he does. His fascisti, the, what becomes known as the fascist party, attacks their political opponents rounding up commies. The idea is there can be only one party and one, quote, truth, Mussolini's truth, while supporting inefficient rural industries. Remember, we talked about with the Nazis, this idea of the folk and the traditional way of doing things. Well, in Italy, that's a lot of inefficient rural agriculture that needs to be updated and hasn't been. Then he starts wars in Libya, wars of imperialism in Libya and Corfu, Greece, and in Ethiopia. By the, 19, by the early 1930s, 30% of Italy's money, and Italy doesn't have much money, is spent on war. Is Mussolini successful? Eh. He beats up commies, which was his job. He runs Italy. But Italy is like USA in 1812 economically. It's 2% of the world manufacturing. Hemingway thought so little of Mussolini, he called him the biggest bluff in Europe. He talks big, and he has no ability to follow through on it. And this will be true. Time and again, he's, he's Hitler's kind of only friend in Europe. And time and again, Hitler just kind of goes, oh my God, if I didn't have these damn Italians, I could conquer the world. Like, Mussolini keeps kind of like not ruining, 
but he's the he's the fly in the soup for the Nazis. He's the plus one, and it's like, oh, you're more trouble than you're worth. In Spain, Spain is also going to end up with a fascist government, and in 1931, liberal groups. It's one of the. It's an interesting thing. The liberal groups took over in Spain after the Great Depression. Um, and create a democratic republic. They overthrow the military dictatorship. They create a democratic republic. And almost immediately, Spain begins to fall apart. Because Barcelona and Madrid and Seville were liberal. But the countryside between them was not. And in 1936, the military revolted. That's Franco, for Francisco Franco, invades Spain. So this is not, this is the opposite of Italy, where Italy invaded countries to create colonies. This is the colonial army invading Spain to take it over. Something, ironically, the fr- that the army of France will do in the Algerian War in the 60s. So there's a military revolt in Africa. Franco invades Spain from Morocco. And immediately the, the war becomes, the Spanish Civil War becomes the fight between communism and fascism. Germany and Italy help Franco. They give him money. They give him aid. They give him, uh, they send tanks. They send advisors. It is, and the Soviet Union does the same thing. And so while the Spanish liberals were not communists for the most part, only liberals willing to help them wasn't the British. It wasn't the French. It was the so- it was Stalin and the Soviet communists. Now, why? Well, because he doesn't want the fascists to win. Why? Because fascists are anti-communist. He knows that if fascism takes over Europe, he is eventually on the menu. That fascism will eventually invade the Soviet Union. So he is trying to rebuild the Soviet Union to prepare for that invasion. He has, I think it's the 10-year speech. We have 10 years to catch up. And he's almost exactly correct. So the Spanish Civil War becomes this World War II prelude. It's got two, well, two famous images come out of the war. There's Guernica by Picasso which is the mass bombing of civilians from planes. This is essentially new. This didn't really happen. Yeah, Zeppelins dropped some bombs over London in World War I, but now you're getting bombers, real planes that are, that are dropping lots of bombs. And this is the new terrorism. That the enemy doesn't have to see you. You can't, you might not even see the enemy. You'll just hear the bomb. This, and it shows Guernica, which is kind of the, a museum is built to house Guernica in Spain. Like, you go to the museum, and it's got a lot of nice stuff, but the real thing that's there for it is Guernica. And you see the destruction, the terror, the awfulness, the humans, and the screaming, the burning, the fire, the screaming of animals, of what mass bombings of civilians can do. So, 
what Spain, what the Spanish Civil War is telling us is that another world war is going to have the mass destruction of cities and the mass murder of peoples in a way World War I didn't have. Most of the deaths in World War I are, are soldier deaths or from deaths from famine, disease. But they're not civilians being murdered in war. Spain, the Spanish Civil War, shows that if it comes to another war, civilians will be murdered in gigantic numbers. The other famous image is Robert Capa's falling soldier. This is a famous photo. It's so unlikely to have been photographed that there's a conspiracy theory that it's staged, it's made up. But what it really is, is the founding photograph of modern war correspondence that Kappa and um, other photographers who now I'm not thinking of their names and that's not good because they're famous, um, but writers like Hemingway will go to Spain to cover it as war correspondence, that this is the first war. The Spanish Civil War is the first war that that you could that the technology existed for you to learn about what was happening on the war at the time. World War One didn't because all of the news came from the front, which meant it went through censors. So you got the government's view of what happened. Now, because cameras had gotten small, the thirty-five millimeter film lenses were much faster, so that you can now take these photographs and see these images. The founding rule of being a war correspondent, be there, be close, publish. You must get people to see your art. You must get people to see these photographs. And be a witness starts here. We'll see it through World War II. We'll see it through Vietnam. We'll see it through Afghanistan and the Iraq War. That you had to be there. You had to be with the military, but not in the military. Spain is the first war correspondent war. Fascism is going to win. By 19, this is between 1936 and 1939. The major cities are conquered. There's mass slaughter of the liberals. Fascism wins. Spain is a fascist dictatorship until 1978. And what does this show? It shows fascism is strong. Communism is dangerous, and liberal democracies are cowards. Why is communism dangerous? Because they could put an army, they can get people, they can get material from the Soviet Union to Spain. They can organize. They can revolutionize the liberals in Spain and make them more radical. Fascism is strong. Communism is dangerous. Because it will react. But liberal democracies, the United States, France, and Britain are cowards. None of them got in, involved. None of them helped the Spanish liberals who were always waiting, waiting, waiting. Oh, sure, there's the Lincoln Brigade of a bunch of mercenaries, American volunteers who go. But that doesn't help. The American government needed to send a million troops. Britain, France, the United States didn't want to be involved in the war. 
And so fascism won. And that's going to be the story of the 30s. Nobody wants to fight except the fascist. Nobody wants to go to war. Nobody wants to have a second world war because they feel, they think it's going to be just like the first world war. And the first world war is so horrible that nobody wants to do it again. The only people who want to do it again are the only people who liked the first world war, the Nazis, fascists. They felt that in war, men get to be men. That war is the purest behavior of humans. They liked war, so they wanted to fight. But the Democrats, the democratic liberal capitalist countries, didn't. They wanted to avoid war because they didn't want to repeat World War I, which you can't blame them for. There's a lot of blame for what's called the appeasement. Well, that's knowing what will happen. But there was nobody in 1936, 37, 38, who wanted to fight another World War I. So, of course, there was appeasement. The United States didn't even want to be involved in Europe. So, of course, Britain and France are going to have to appease and try to figure out a diplomatic way. So what's going on in Germany? Well, you have the Great Depression, and that ends the legitimacy of liberal Weimar government. People are looking for solutions, and they're being broken into camps for communists and fascists. The center lacked legitimacy at the polls. The center left. The Weimar government was the signer of the Versailles tr Treaty, which everybody hated, and it was the government of the Great Depression, which meant 40% of Germans were unemployed, but of course in certain regions it was much higher. And conservative parties were terrified of the, of the popularity of the communists. So they invited Hitler's Nazi party into government. They invite Hitler to be chancellor. And the idea is us conservatives will get the enthusiasm of the Nazi support. But the Nazis are idiots, and they have no government experience, and so we'll get to run the show. Like, Hitler won't really be chancellor. He'll be a puppet. Well, that's not how it turned out. What turned out is the Nazis ate the center-right and absorbed it and assimilated it. It made the conservative parties Nazis. And that's what we get at Nuremberg where you get these mass demonstrations, these mass movements. Yeah, Hitler becomes Chancellor in 1933. By 1936, the German political world is, is Nazis. So you get attacks on social enemies, liberals, homosexuals, Jews, communists. You get concentration camps. The idea came from Britain during the Boer War in 1900. The idea was to segregate bad people from good Germans. To physically separate them. Stalin's doing it with his gulags. The United States will do it with its internment camps, but also what it did with its Native Americans, which was the reservations. A reservation is just a, a concentration camp without walls. That's the gulag. Gulag is a concentration camp without walls in Siberia. The Nazis will control the media so that there's one truth. And the idea is that the culture is the real enemy. That what people believe is the real enemy, and you have to harmonize it. You have to purify it. You have to make everyone think like a Nazi. 
So you get the Nazi secret police, the SS military units, the idea that you must purge society of the untrustworthy, of those that are counter-revolutionaries, of those that will never be Nazis, communists, Jews, homosexuals. You have massive displays, as we see in Triumph of the Will, at the Nuremberg of pro-Nazi enthusiasm. The, the idea is to show that Nazism is big and it's popular and it's successful. And the idea is, even if it's not, it looks like it is. That Nazi propaganda is always talking about the greatness of the Nazis. Even when it fails, it's always doing something great. Parades and marches and songs, it links Nazi Germany to the traditional folk Germany. The idea that it's the Nazis that are the inheritors of the, the by calling it the Third Reich. Right? The First Reich is the Holy Roman Empire. The Second Reich is the German Empire after 1871. So they're now the Third Reich. That means the Weimar government didn't exist. That means the governments from 1919 didn't exist. They don't matter. Like, democracy literally got wiped out in the language by calling it the Third Reich. But the biggest thing, the most important thing, the thing that changes everything is rearmament. Star that, put giant exclamation points, because what that did was put people back to work. There were jobs to join the army. The army goes from 100,000 people, which is what the Versailles Treaty, the treaty that ends World War I, limited the government, the army to, and made it millions. Right? So billions of people go into into the army then you have to give them uniforms you have to get them belt buckles you have to get them shoes you have to give them guns yeah the guns have to have bullets you have to have tanks those tanks need engines they need armor they need and so now you need jobs for making things for the army you need farmers to make food and so kind of the way britain used its navy in the 1700s as the engine that starts churning the entire economy, the Nazis will do that with their military, with rearmament. They'll build submarines. They'll build giant battleships like the Bismarck that are totally impractical. But the practicality wasn't important. It was the amount of people who were working on it, the amount of resources needed to make it, the amount of money that gets poured into the economy. And by 1937, the 40% unemployment that had existed in 1933 is down to essentially zero. Basically, if you wanted a job, you could have a job. Fascism solved the economic problem. Now, it solved it with the military, which is massively expensive and a problem because if you don't use the military, it doesn't generate money. This is why you like, you go, well, why doesn't Britain do it? And why doesn't why doesn't France do this? And why doesn't the United States do this now? Well, we kind of do. We spend $700 billion on our military. That's a lot of money that gets poured in. That goes to Lockheed. That goes to Boeing. That goes to Northrop Grumman. That goes to clothing companies. That goes to food companies. Halliburton. Who buys all the stuff and supplies it. It's a billion, multi-billion dollar company. So fascism solved the problem. But the problem is, is having a million men, having five million men in the military is massively expensive. You have to pay them. You have to train them. You have to supply them. 
where are you going to get the money in the middle of a depression? Well, the answer is you loot your enemies. You simply murder your enemies and take their stuff. So you loot the social groups to pay for stuff. And when you run out of money, you loot a different group. So the Nazis start with the Jews. They take their property. They sell off their the ownership stake. So um, a, a, a simple coffee shop or a factory, right? They passed a law saying a Jews can't own property. So now a business that makes belt buckles is owned by Jewish owners. Well, now a Nazi official comes in and closes it down. It says, you no longer own this. Okay. Well, now what happens to that factory? Well, the government now owns it. The fascists take it over because it doesn't stop existing. So it is no longer owned by Jewish owners. It is now owned by the Nazi government. The Nazi government doesn't want to run. This is not communism. Communism, the Nazi government would run the belt-making company. They don't want to run it. That's not, that's commies. This is fascism. This is, you know, capitalism. This is state-directed capitalism. So what they need is an, is an owner. So they put out a board. They put out an auction. Belt buckle factory for sale. Aryan Germans only. And you have an auction. And you go, well, I'll give you 100000 I'll give you 200000 I'll give you 300000 I'll give you 400000 Going once, going twice, through, done. Boom. So the factory owner now pays the German government, the Nazi government, $400,000 for a factory, right? Now, this is fascism. So what does the, the German owner of these belt buckle factory now expect? a contract to make a million belt buckles for the German army. He has just paid $400,000 and now he's got contacts. He's like, Hey, I got a belt buckle company. Do you need any belt buckles? I bet you do. Cause you have all those guys in the military. Now the Nazis have made the Nazi government has made $400,000 off of nothing. It's made a $400,000 profit because it confiscated the factory from Jewish owners, the Jewish owners, are either allowed, at least from 1933 to 1936, 37, allowed to leave Germany if they can. And after 1937, they begin to be putting put in concentration slash work camps. So the Nazi government has made a profit of $400,000. What does it now do with that? It has imprisoned the Jews, it is using them as slave labor. So maybe the German owner of the belt buckle factory will now pay the nazi government to hire slaves jewish slaves to work and make belt buckles for the nazi army oh. but that four hundred thousand dollars and that money per per jewish slave is going to be reinvested right away into german rearmament it's going to pay german soldiers it's going to pay german officers it's going to pay for the belt buckles to the to the factory, the new factory owner, right? That four hundred thousand dollars is going to run out, like sooner or later, and it takes to about nineteen thirty six, nineteen thirty seven, for the Nazi government to plunder communist, liberal, and Jewish property, 
and now it has to find more property. So in 1936, it goes after Austria. Hey, they're German. And so it absorbs them, it assimilates them, and it loots them. Hey, they're all Germans. And like Britain and France are like, ah, they're Germans. Like, let you let the Germans figure it all out. Well, they loot the banks. They loot the government. They do the same thing to Jewish business owners. Czechoslovakia. Well, there's parts of Czechoslovakia that's German, and the Czechs and the Slovaks are kind of German, but they're really not. But, you know. And so in 1937, you have Munich, where Hitler starts saying, I'm going to attack. I want the Germans in Czechoslovakia to be back part of Germany, and I will attack Czechoslovakia if you don't let me do it. And the British and the French go, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want a war. And so they go to Munich. They have a conference. And they make an agreement. And this is the famous Neville Chamberlain appeasement. I have a piece of paper signed by Hitler that will guarantee peace in our time. Well, it didn't last a year. It didn't last two years. But the idea was Germany gets the German part of Czechoslovakia and the rest of Czechoslovakia gets to exist. Well, almost, well, the Germans need the money. So they take the German part and then absorb the rest of Czechoslovakia and conquer the parts that resist. Well, now this tells Britain and France the Germans are not going to be appeased and we're going to have to fight. Well, what does that mean? That means... They declare war on Germany when Germany does the same thing to Poland. Because they ran out of money in Czechoslovakia. So they then had to move on to Poland. And from Poland, they made to, to invade Poland, they actually made a deal with the Soviet Union. Remember, the Soviet Union is the great enemy. But they made a peace deal between Stalin and Hitler. Why? Because Hitler didn't, didn't have the money to fight the Soviet Union yet. And Stalin didn't want a war at all. Stalin was perfectly fine with getting half of Poland, which was the Russian half of Poland in 1915. Uh, it was still the Polish part of Poland, but the Russians owned it during the Russian Empire. So he gets back part of the Russian Empire. So that's nice. And he gets time. Because... Sooner or later, the, the war with the fascists is going to have to happen. But he wants to put it off for as long as possible for the Soviet Union to be as strong as possible. Let the Germans fight the British and the French. Let, the, let, the, let all those Westerners, Western democracies fight each other. And so that's what the Germans do. They go after Poland, especially the part of Poland that, that in 1915 was part of the German Empire. But they're again trying to get all that money to finance the war machine. Then after Poland, Britain and France declare war. So then it becomes invade France, who, which is rich, which is our first rich country to absorb. And that's revenge for World War I. So they smash the French army. They kick the British army off. They accomplish in 1940 what they couldn't accomplish in 1914. They smash the French army, occupy Paris, kick the Brits off the continent. Boom. And then they start looting northern France, and they create an allied Vichy, a, a southern France that's independent, quote-unquote, but is completely allied to the Nazis. It's a, basically a Nazi colony. And then, in 1941, the USSR, which is the prize. This is the prize. 
So they have wiped out the Jewish people who they were racist against. And they have yet, not yet started a genocide. That doesn't happen until that the at the moment it's still slave labor camps. There's murder, don't get me wrong, but we don't yet have the 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 final solution, the gas chambers. That will start up in 1942, after the invasion of the Soviet Union. They will reabsorb Austria, German-speaking peoples. They will reabsorb or reabsorb the German part of Czechoslovakia and then conquer the Slavic part of Czechoslovakia. They'll reabsorb the um, western part of Poland that Germany used to own, and then they'll smash France. And now there's the goal. The USSR is communist. It's run by communist, quote, Jews. It's run by Slavs. And remember, Slav means slave in German. This is a good war. And the Soviet Union is so big. It's got so much stuff. This will be the final victory. This will have enough money that you can have the complete change in society. You can have everything. You can have your militarized society. You can have your bread and your bullets. You can have your women stay home and not work in factories. You can have your men in your army. You can have slave labor. There's enough Slavs to enslave. It will return Germany to the 1200s, to a noble past. And what you see is the, the, the crusader iconography comes back. The swastika, the death's head, the valnot. These crusader icono iconographic symbols pop up again and start being used again. So it's this, not only this, this connection to Germany of 1914 or Germany of 1871, it's going back to medieval Germany, which is the Germany that is the Northern Crusades, the Germany that conquers and Christianizes Poland. Then the Germany that uh, invades the Baltic states, that smashes the Slavs, that Germany. Meanwhile, in Asia, Japan's militarist, if not flat-out fascist, dictatorship invades China in 1937, essentially for the same reason. The, the buildup of the military during the 30s required money. And who has money? China has money. China was weak, it's big, it's got money, it's got people you could enslave. And so they need the resources of Manchuria, so they will smash the Chinese army. They'll enslave the people of coastal China, just like they did to Korea, the people of Korea in 1905. They will wipe out Chinese and, cult and Korean culture, which is what they're trying. They will try to wipe out Chinese and Korean culture. They were trying to wipe out Korean culture since 1905. The idea was they'll now do that with Chinese culture. And they'll take over the exposed, weak European colonies of Vietnam and Indonesia, leaving only the United States in the Philippines with its fleet in Hawaii as a problem. The United States, weak as it was, imperiled as it was because of the Great Depression, was still the richest country on earth. Many, many, many times wealthier, bigger than Japan. Japan was trying to conquer China. 
which has a massive population and is as big as the United States. Why would you want to fight both China and the United States at the same time? But that fleet is a problem because that fleet could stop the Japanese advance into Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Indonesia, where the resources are, where more money is. And remember, the war machine requires, requires, requires. You have to take and take and take. Fascism doesn't have an end point. It just keeps requiring more because it's unsustainable. The military, the military is, is not being paid for through taxes. It's not being paid for in any sustainable way. It's being paid for by conquest. So what Germany and, and, and Japan with the Italians later on tried to do is escape their middle power status and replace it with a violent militarist racism. And what did they accomplish? They obliterated themselves, they ruined Europe, and they created two superpowers, the USA and the USSR, with so much power that the next 50 years, until 1991, the two divided the world between them. So we have events, and I don't really want to go through them because they're famous events. We have fascism on the march from 1933 to 1943. We have the conquest of France. We have the Battle of Britain, which is our first air battle. The UK wins. There's an Iron Maiden song. There's Churchill's speech. There's never so did so many uh, owe so much to so few. Um, in 41, Germany invades the USSR, which is the largest war fought in human history. Some 30 million people are going to die. Japan sweeps the Europeans out of Asia in 1942, by, by 1942 and starts talking about creating an Asia for the Asians, but it's really not. It's really an Asia for the Japanese. They need oil in Indonesia, which means destroying the USA fleet in Pearl Harbor, which happens in December 1942. In 43, the tide turns as the USSR, USA, uh, tide turns in the USSR with Stalingrad and beating back the Russian Nazi advance. The USA invades North Africa and Italy and starts island hopping the Pacific, which means every, for the Japanese, every island is a last stand. And it's brutal, 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 racist fighting. Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, Tinian. We're just, you're, the Japanese are going to fight to the last person. And the rhetoric around it is just, it, it becomes just as both wars, the Japanese U.S. war and the USSR Nazi war become these grinding, slug, slug, just murder. It's just murder, but it's racist. Everything about it is racism in it. It's fueled by this hatred of the other. In 1945, the Nazis had their last stand at Berlin. Hitler commits suicide. The USSR flag is raised over Berlin. And atomic bombs from U.S. bombers are dropped on Japan. Mao survives to fight the Chinese government again. The Chinese are the victor. Technically, the Democrats, the, the Republican Democratic Party, the Nationalist Party is the U.S. ally and the victor. But Mao... And his insurgency, his communist insurgency, who now has a friend in the Soviet Union, will survive to fight the Chinese government again. 
What is the result? Mass death. And the show that technology equaled the massive destruction of people. There's nothing like it in the modern world. 60 million people, 4% of the world's population is obliterated. 20% of the Polish population, 4% of Japan, 5% of Austria, 8% of Germany, 13% of the Soviet Union, and 55% of the Jewish population. And yet that number is misleading because you go 55%. That's not, that's terrible. That's awful. There's no, but that's not all the Jews wiped out in the world. Well, first of all, there's the Jewish groups that still live in the Middle East and in North Africa. There's the large Jewish population of the United States, none of whom were uh, under Nazi domination. But what it misses is the localities. 80% of Jews in Greece were murdered. 75% of the Jews in Hungary, 88% in Lithuania, 87% in Poland, 90% in Yugoslavia. Meanwhile, in Denmark, 1%. And France, France, the most liberal country in Europe, the leading culture in Europe since the Middle Ages, 22% of French Jews were murdered. Which means Zionism was right. In 1871, following the Dreyfus Affair, Zionists argued that if liberal France was this anti-Semitic and the Dreyfus Affair basically blamed Jews for France losing the 1871 war to Prussia, Germany, they basically said Jews aren't really French and our defeat in war is because they sold us out to Germans. So it's the dual loyalty. They're not really loyal to France. They're loyal to Judaism. They're not really French. Well, the Zionists, the earliest Zionists say, if liberal France is anti-Semitic, is this anti-Semitic, then no place is safe for us. And we need a homeland. And they were right. They were right because France murdered 22% of its Jewish population. Not 1% like Denmark. Not less than 1% or 1% like Norway. 22%. The Shoah, later on, later in the 60s, called the Holocaust, was the systematic search for an attempted destruction of an entire ethnic group. It's different than the genocides I've talked about in 101 and in other parts of 102. There are genocides. Milos by Athens, Carthage by Rome. And they are the destruction of the culture. Carthaginians stopped existing. This happened to the kingdom of Israel, the the ten tribes of Israel by the Assyrians. They stopped existing. But was it what it wasn't was the industrialized scientific search for genocide. The, the goal was to wipe out every last member of this ethnic group.
And so I have a couple couple things on the on the video on the video, and we have a couple of gifs. We have Anne Frank uh, staring out of her famous window. It's a photograph of her leaning out the window. It's Eli Weissel's statement on neutrality, which is a dig at the United States for being neutral, for not being in part of the war. And the idea is there is no neutrality. We must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. No, never the tormented. It's the idea that for evil to win, it just requires good to do nothing. Good to stay silent. And then we have pieces from um, Schindler's List. From the Talmud, whoever saves one life saves the world entire. That the idea is that to save any part, that that this is what the Holocaust, the Shoah, which the catastrophe, was what the German Nazis wanted to do was to wipe out the entire future of an ethnic group, and they searched it out even when they, especially when they were losing the war. The second thing is. We have a scene from the from the liquidation of the ghetto, the Warsaw Ghetto, and it has a German SS soldier playing on a player piano, on a piano, and he's you could see by his I use this um, GIF because you could see his fingers. He's obviously a concert pianist. He's obviously trained. And then two Nazis come in. They hear him playing. Meanwhile, all the lights that are flashing are all the gunshots, murdering people murdering uh, Jews who have hidden in the in the ghetto and are being destroyed. And two SS, off- I don't know if they're officers, soldiers, come in, they're listening, and they go, go, what is that? Is it Bach? And one of the guy goes to the other, no, 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 it's Mozart. Now, it turns out it's Bach's English suite number two. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because these are not dumb people. These are not uneducated hillbillies. These are not stupid rubes. These are educated people. These are trained people. These are people who are not murderers, who become murderers. This is a concert pianist who, rather than participate in the murdering of the ghetto, is at the moment playing Bach. German, yes but playing a piece few people can play. And the other guys are stopping to admire the music. So what does this tell us? What I, I have shown this scene for a very long time in my classes. Why do I show this scene? It's the idea that anybody that the Nazis are not uniquely evil. Anybody can be a Nazi. Anybody can do evil. Genocide is not the Nazis. It's all of us. It could be any of us. The system created these people. And I'm not saying the people are innocent. They're not made to murder all of these people. They did it willingly. They wanted to do it. But there is a universe in which this person is a concert pianist playing to paying crowds and not murdering people. 
It was Nazism that made that. But any of us can become that. That's the point of this scene. These are educated people. These are civilized people. So, Japan is burned to the ground. 67 cities in Japan had between 60 and 90% destruction. The entire economy, all the social institutions are burned, literally burned. Per capita income is reduced by 50%. Foreign trade is less than 8% of 1934. And if you look at the map, you take a second to pause it, you could see all of these towns and their equivalents uh, to a U.S. city, Nagoya, is equivalent to Los Angeles, 40% of it burned down. Uh, Toyama Chattanooga, is equal to Chattanooga, 95% of it was burned down. Osaka is Chicago, 35%. Kobe is Baltimore, 55%. So that you can look and just see what the B-29s did. They burned all of these cities. And these cities aren't like dinky little nothings. They're Chicago. They're Baltimore. They're Jacksonville. They're Los Angeles. They're New York. 40% of Tokyo burned. 57% of Cleveland burned. And all the people with it. Germany, Berlin's destroyed. Dresden is burned down. It is occupied. Every city is wrecked. Blame, the Germans are blamed for crimes of war and genocide. There is no separation of German from Nazi. They are the same in 1946. And Eastern Germany is just stripped by the USSR. The world blames the Nazis. The world blames Germany for causing this war. And the Russians go, hey, we're going to get, we got to rebuild the Soviet Union. We're going to take it out of Germany. And you just strip factories. And they do, and they do mass rape because war is always taken out on women. Germany is its weakest, its poorest, its most broken up since 1648. It is occupied by the Americans in the West and the Soviets in the East. The Soviet army in Berlin raising the hammer and sickle. The very thing that Hitler came to power promising to prevent from happening happened. And the U.S. US army at Nuremberg blew up the giant swastika. You want to talk about anti-fascists? I know that was a word in like since 2017 or so about anti-fascists. You know who was anti-fascists? Grandpa. Grandpa was an anti-fascist. My grandfather was a German-Hungarian. He's going to end up being a guard at Nuremberg. And he hated the Nazis. His brothers who went to go fight. His brother-in-law who went to go fight. The countless people who went to go fight, who were of German extraction, German heritage, hated the Nazis. They were anti-fascist, hated fascism. You want to have an anti-fascist? Talk to your grandfather. Because he's an anti-fascist. If he fought in the Second World War, he was an anti-fascist. So what are the results? Europe is obliterated. Only Switzerland and Sweden are untouched. Art, culture, 
the money is used up. It's gone. A thousand years of cultural wealth. We have been talking about Europe the entire part of this class. We're going to stop. It's gone. It's used up. It's burned up. It's the end of European empires. That imperialism section we talked about, the colonial section we talked about in the 1500s, Europe is not impressive enough anymore, and it's not rich enough to hold on. In 47, India will get its independence. In the 50s, it's the Middle East. In the 60s, it's Africa and Asia. The lamps are going out all over Europe. Sir Edmund Gray said that in 1914. It was true by 1946. He was right. He was just wrong when Europe would run out of steam. The time of Europe running the world was over. It was either the Soviet Union or the United States that was going to run, run the world now. The second result is America is victorious. It leads the world's democracy. It is a new world order, and it's an American world order, not a European one anymore. It made 60% of the world's goods. It's the world's largest consumer industrial base. Americans are rich. Life is good. There is literal books called How to Do Paris on $5 a Day. You can do Paris on $5 a day. That's food. That's entertainment. That's a hotel. You can't do shit in Paris today on $5. People also like Americans. And their consumer goods are plentiful. The Americans saved Europe. It has, the United States has the world's only Navy. It's only nukes. It has massive hard power. It doesn't have an army. The army won and then went home. The army ceased to exist. 20 million men are going to be let out of the army within a few years. We invent war crimes and create human rights at Nuremberg, the trials at Nuremberg. We have the moral authority to say, you can't behave this way. That the Holocaust is a crime and we are going to hold you responsible. And the rest of the world is going to say, yes, do it. Do it, America. You're right. We do the Marshall Plan. The United States will help rebuild Europe. This is soft power. It's even better than hard power. Soft power is what people think about you. Soft power is... It's people's impressions, it's movies, it's music, it's entertainment. It's, it's when people say America. Do they think America is awesome, like in, in coming to America? Or do they go, F in America? That's soft power. And the Marshall Plan is huge soft power because it's helping to rebuild all the things that were destroyed by the Nazis. NATO the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. The USA will stay in Europe. It will protect Europe from the USSR. Instead of like World War I where it left, it's going to stay. The UN will create order diplomatically. Let's write, not fight. You have problems? Instead of the League of Nations that people just left and started wars, the UN, you're going to come, you're going to stay, we're going to talk about stuff. It turns out to be less effective than it was meant to be but it's still the only place the world gets together to talk about its problems. The IMF and the World Bank are going to be invented to protect the world economy from a second Great Depression. So that countries that, that, that their, their, their economies start to implode can get loans, cheap loans from the Western world. 
so that their crisis, their credit crisis, doesn't infect other countries. And finally, the USSR is traumatized. 20 million people are dead. Half of their European country is obliterated. They have the largest army in the world. They killed 10 million Nazis. Like, the USSR won World War II. America can talk about its wins all it wants. The real victor is the USSR and the US, the Red Army of the USSR. It has the largest or second largest industrial base in the world, depending on how you want to measure stuff. Um, it has conquered and liberated Eastern Europe by itself. It swiftly crushed the Japanese, the undefeated Japanese army of, in northern China and Korea, swept it right out. Crushed it in days. It put allies in charge of local governments to help protect it from attack. So Eastern Europe becomes this buffer zone against Western Europe, which, remember, World War II was the third attack on, the, on Russia in the 20th century. There was World War I, where the Germans invaded. There was the Civil War, where the democracies invaded for a time to help uh, the, the liberals, the, not the liberals, the conservatives, uh, the Mensheviks, fight the Bolsheviks. And then there's World War II. So this is the third time, World War II was the third time since 1914, the West had invaded um, Russia. So they don't want it to happen again. So they're not going to allow democracy. And there's nothing. There's going to be no democracy in Eastern Europe. And there is nothing the Western democracies can do about it. The U.S. can't invade. Britain and France don't have, don't have anywhere near the money or the armies to do anything about it. But per capita money, per capita income, the USSR is barely above Italy. And it's only 25% of the USA. Soviet Europe was a wasteland that needed to be rebuilt between the Germans just wrecking everything and then the war being fought over that territory. It's just denuded. There's nothing there. No horses, no pigs, no sheep, no goats, no infrastructure. It's all ripped up. The USSR was poor but powerful and surrounded by enemies. And Stalin, who was paranoid anyway, was going to keep the USSR on a war footing almost guaranteeing what becomes our next lecture, which is the Cold War. So thank you, and I'm sorry. And I promise our, our lectures will eventually get happier.